long time ago when I was a social worker and I was a family counsellor, I can remember a conversation that I was having with, believe it or not, a shift-working couple. It was a traditional, shall we say, family where, where the male was a shift worker and the woman was home with must have been three or four kids, I think. The issue was you're never home at two or three o'clock in the morning when one of the kids is sick. I'm the one that's got to be there and handle that all by myself. And, and, and the response was, well, if I wasn't working shift, we wouldn't be living in the house that we're in. We wouldn't have the car that we have. We wouldn't have the lifestyle that we have. So you're making me choose between providing for my family and being in my family. Working Well in Wellington program instigator Helen first heard that story when she was working as a family counsellor. But she's heard it a lot since, and from all reports, it's not a unique situation amongst shift workers. For the most part, having a family is really set up for the nine-to-fiver. You go to work, your kids go to school, and then everyone comes back home and then there's family time together before you wash, rinse and repeat the next day. How do you juggle the competing priorities of work life and home life when everyone's timing doesn't match up? And how do employers create a working environment that supports that work-life balance so their employees don't have to choose between their job and their family? Well, that's what this episode is all about. Welcome to Working Well in Wellington's Make the Shift podcast. From what we hear and from what the shift workers who were involved in this project were telling us is that sometimes they were put in that situation where they thought they had to choose. That makes for very, very difficult family relationships. If you think back to the first episode of this podcast, you'll know that there's five factors that we focus on when we're talking mental health in the workplace. Your first ones are about job design, organisational factors, and team and group factors. So the job itself, the organisation, and the people alongside you at work. Those three are, in order, the most important ones to get right, and also the ones that the employer has the most control over. The last one is individual biopsychosocial factors, and it really is just a fancy way of saying the factors that we bring to the table ourselves as humans. Our mental health history, our beliefs, our experience, dare I say it, our baggage, that affects how we feel and how we relate to what's happening at work. That's the one that the employer has the least control over. But sitting in the middle, ironically, between those employer factors and employee factors, is the fact that each one of us is walking a delicate tightrope between the needs of our family and the needs of our employer. That home and work conflict is a huge factor in how much people are going to be able to maintain their mental health while working shift work. And it's one that Helen says can be a pretty tricky proposition. Particularly for children who are not necessarily understanding all the nuances of what that conversation might mean, because kids really normally interpret what they see. So if they see people being angry or if they see people being absent, they usually think it's because of them because children are so self-centric up until a certain age. So when they see difficulties, the kids are most likely to think, well, (laughs) it must be my fault. I must be doing something wrong. Mum must be working those really awful hours because she doesn't like me. And that's that's really hard for kids to deal with. So where there is a lack or there is reduced conflict between the demands of home and work, your workplace is going to be more mentally healthy. 
missing important family events, missing that time at home to bond with your family, and the corresponding feelings of guilt, pressure, and the crash in your social life can be a concern for a shift worker's mental health. So how do you prepare your family and give them the tools to be able to cope with you doing shift work? How do you adapt both yourself and your family for that change in lifestyle? One of the difficult things about shift work is that nobody really aspires to be a shift worker. It's always just one of those things that comes with the job. And what are you dressing up as today? I'm dressing up as a nurse because that's what I want to be when I grow up. Really? Is that because you like helping people and making them feel better? No, it's because I want to work at three o'clock in the morning and miss out on seeing my family. So it's a pretty hard adjustment when you've never really considered or been taught how to work shift. And striking that balance can take a little while. For Jules, our grad nurse, she's had to rapidly make the adjustment to shift work. Funnily enough, it's uncommon to actually get any experience of being a shift worker while you're on placement as a nurse. Often, your first experience with working shift is actually on your first night shift. Sometimes that being thrown in the deep end of shift work can come as a surprise, and it's important for an employer to keep that in mind. I I love my job, so shift work is just one of those things that just comes with it, and I don't mind doing it, but I have noticed there's more challenges than I probably anticipated finding that work-life balance. I'm a single mum of two kids, so trying to make sure I'm there for them and have a social life and give my work 110% has probably been more challenging than I had expected it to be. I want to be present in all areas, and sometimes some things have to give, and I get feel a bit guilty at times, but we all do what we're going to do and I'm really lucky to have a supportive family and supportive kids who are supporting my dream, which is awesome. That is awesome. So let's meet them. My name is Alyssa Light. I am 14 years old. My mum is a registered nurse at the Sale Hospital. Uh, I'm in year nine and I study the basic things are English, math, science. We do electives, so I do outdoor ed and I study French. I want to be a physiotherapist when I leave school. I've had to go see physiotherapists and strengthening conditioning coaches and I think the way that they help your body move differently and fix it is really cool and I want to do the same. I'm Molly Light and I'm 13 years old and I'm in Year 7. I have a love for basketball and netball. I've been playing both those sports for a very long time. Basketball most nights, netball some nights. Jules isn't the only one that has had to rapidly adjust to the demands of shift work. Alyssa and Marley have felt the change too. Well, there definitely has been a big change from when she was home a lot to only being home a little bit. We've kind of got more independent as we get used to her working away. Just helping around the house and doing things for ourselves like cooking dinner and stuff like that. In the beginning, we didn't really know what it was going to be like without mum there. But once we kind of got used to not having her there all the time, we kind of just knew that we had to do things a bit more independently. But it was always hard not having her around all the time. Well, we had to kind of change like what we did when she was home and when she wasn't home because normally she would finish work around three and she'd be home. But when she works all different shift hours, we never know when she's home and when she's not. The effects of shift work on families can be pretty far reaching from home life to school and extracurricular activities like sport. The difficult conversations and the careful communication that has to happen in families, I think is so much more compounded with shift workers. Again, missing some of those family events 
I've heard children talking about, I get sick of having to explain to my friends why my mum or my dad isn't home. Unless you've kind of lived that lifestyle, it's so difficult for other people to understand. So it targets that family as being different. Having that conflict between work life and home life also means that many of the things that we take for granted every day become a bit of a juggle. Nutrition for one. In episode three, nutrition expert, Associate Professor Maxine Bonham, spoke about the importance of nutrition in shift workers and the difficulty there is in shift working families trying to get the right nutrition in at the right time. For shift workers with families, they have to organise their own nutrition, but also their families. If you're working shift work, you're coming home, you've got to get kids off to school, you've got lunch boxes to pack, you've got breakfast to give, and you're tired and you've so little time. When you're on your way back from work, shops may not even be open yet. You know, you may not be able to pick up that food. And when you are going into work, same thing, stuff's closed. So it just must be a whole increased level of difficulty for for shift workers trying to deal with the family. And I suspect what happens is they probably end up having to cook about three different meals. They have to sort themselves out. They have to take food in and they they deal with their family. And yeah, it, it would just be so hard to do. It's interesting when we have all our shift work participants in, a lot of them have strategies and ways to deal with things. But, you know, if you get called in for an extra shift or it gets extended, it's out the window. So it's it's endless challenge. Jules's daughter, Marley, agrees with that too. Yeah, we reheat meals. If she's already made it, we'll just reheat them and eat that. But sometimes, for example, we'll cook our own schnitzel and stuff. Sometimes it's hard because, you you know, you have to cook meals that they can reheat on their own so all the work's done for them rather than dishing up a nice roast that's fresh and, and everything every night. We do the best we can and I try and shove as many veggies into their meals as, as possible. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way and that's okay because I'd say 90% of the time we're all getting the stuff that we need. So once you've worked your shift, made the meals, gotten the kids off to school, to scouts, to basketball, to dance lessons and to karate, planned out the next week of shifts, meals and movements in your calendar and scheduled in a bathroom break, that leaves 13 whole minutes for a nice bit of shut-eye. That's that's not going to do. Sleep expert Dr Jade Murray, who we also heard from in episode three, says it's important to discuss your sleep needs with your family up front. At the risk of sounding a bit obvious, but one of the primary things shift workers can do is have a very frank discussion with their family and particularly their significant other, especially if they have young children. And by frank, I mean really describe the way shift work makes them feel and the importance of what they need. So if you're an employer, it might mean that you have to take into account that even with the best will in the world of optimising your workers' sleep habits, they might just have to compromise when it comes to their family. And then also balancing that with the fact that, yes, my partner and our children and everyone else in the household still needs to function. And so I can't expect them to tiptoe around the house all day. But discussing as a family, okay, maybe we set up when I'm on night shift, this is my designated sleep space during the day so that I can be undisturbed. Ensuring that when my partner leaves the house for the day and I'm asleep, they stick a sign on the door that says, do not disturb shift workers sleeping, things like that. It also is really important to reiterate that for a lot of shift workers, part of the appeal of shift work is that it helps family life. It means they're available at various different times to do things, but that also very much needs to be balanced with prioritizing sleep. So if you're, for example, 
staying awake after your shift uh, so that you can then drive the kids to school and then only sleeping until it's time to have to go and pick them up again. You may need to reconsider how you do that. And perhaps there's an opportunity there for employers to step in and help in certain ways with that, whether it's some sort of subsidy for childcare or there are definitely opportunities for employers to aid in that family life. It's about sort of balancing that prioritizing sleep and getting the benefits out of shift work that a lot of shift workers see. And that is that they have greater flexibility, but also, you know, if there's an expectation from family members that, oh, you'll be home in the morning, you can take the kids to school for them to understand that that could actually be quite dangerous. They're coming off a long night shift. They're tired. Maybe it's not ideal that they're taking the kids to school. Maybe it is better if they go straight to sleep, but then pick the kids up. Finding ways to compromise within the family and and it stems from having that really frank discussion with your family members. For some families, a shift worker being on shift or sleeping means that the rest of the family might have to pick up the slack. For single parent families like Jules's, that means kids like Alyssa and Marley are pitching in to keep the household going too. My sister and I share a lot of the jobs around the house. Mum does a lot, but we help her out because there's three of us and we're just kind of a team. So we have to all pitch in and if mum's working, she'll prepare most of our dinner, but we have to cook it if she's not there. When she didn't work shift, we were a lot younger, so we didn't really do much for ourselves, but the older we got, the more things we did to help out. And when she works shifts, it's just normal. Some things we learn how to cook, others we're not very good at. It did become harder because when mum was there all the time, like we'd help her, and but she'd like guide us most of the time. But when she started working, we had to do it all on our own. Like we had to make sure that everything was ready. Like with all the animals, we have to feed them ourselves all the time. We have to make sure that the house is clean and stuff if mum's not around. Compared with some of her mates, Alyssa reckons that other kids might not necessarily understand the extra responsibility that comes with having a shift-working parent. I reckon we have more responsibility than some people because they don't have their parents working as like crazy hours as we do because most of my friends' parents are around all the time. And it's important to remember that the effects of shift work can extend beyond the family unit too. As we heard in our FIFO episode with Jack, extended family, such as grandparents, also provide a lot of the care and grunt work to keep the household going. Marley and Alyssa explain how their grandparents are there when Jules just can't be. When she drops us off at school, she comes home and she sleeps. We'll get Nana to pick us up or something. Normally we have like our grandparents that help us out, but sometimes we don't know what time mum finishes and what time she starts. It's very helpful having them around. Like if mum's working late, they're here to help us. And like if we have dinner and stuff, they're there. Our great-grandmother comes and stays with us when mum's working. If she's working late or if she's working too early in the morning, she'll come and stay with us and they'll help run us to all our sports. They also help us like with dinner and stuff if mum's working all day and can't get things ready. They run us to our sports when mum can't and they help us get dinner sorted when mum's also not here. It's important for employers to understand that the burden of shift work is often shared between family members and even extended family members and friends in the case of people like Jules. So anything they can do to help family members share that load will help their workers too. Saputo Dairy Australia's Scott Rebecca notes that his organisation has opened up its EAP, or its Employee Assistance Program, to family members of Saputo staff, which is an easy to implement but helpful solution if family members do find they're struggling. 
but he says that one of the learnings from this program is that employers could be doing more to support families of shift workers. If there's some learnings that, you know, even these conversations that we have is that we probably need to more consider the family and the, and the family unit and, and how shift work impacts them. And I think, you know, it's things like how do I get to take my son, daughter to footy training or netball training or dancing when I'm working afternoon shift? It's always left to the, the other parent to do that. Or if I'm working night shift, I can't actually go out for dinner because I've got to go to work. So we probably need to understand that more and the impact that it may have on those relationships and, and do more work around that. It's no easy task for an employer to be able to do that, though. It's hard enough sometimes looking after your own shift working workforce without having to worry about all the people that come with your people. But what Helen's seen is that shift work can be a huge benefit to a family if the resourcing around it is right. I'm very good friends with some people who have both been shift workers throughout their careers, and they've always been able to manage their shifts so that one of them has always been available for the kids. They keep on you know, saying we're, we're one of the few people who we know who have never had to use much childcare. But what that takes is both of them were relatively senior in their organisations. So as a shift manager, they had much more power to actually look at what their shift was going to be. Both of them are very, very articulate people and assertive people who felt very comfortable going to their manager and saying, I can't do that shift because this week I am the primary caregiver for the children. You know, so, so that takes a lot of skill that not all of us have. They probably also had skills that the organisation really needed. So the organisation was going to be a bit more flexible and allow them to get the shifts that they needed to get. I think some of us have better resources or more resources than others, and that might not be totally in the individual's control. I think the greatest resource that I ever have at work is my boss. If I don't have a good boss, then I'm in more danger in that workplace. So when I look at what resources I need to work well, I need a good boss. Now, some people have that and some people don't. It's not within their control. The challenge, of course, is then how to make sure that all of our workers have those resources and supports to help them manage the demands of their personal life, their work life and their family life, no matter their situation and regardless of whether or not they have a good boss or if they have the position within the organisation to take control of their roster, for example. That might be in re-examining your policies to make sure there's some wiggle room for people who are trying to juggle shift work and family at the same time. Or looking at other elements that are in the employer's control to ensure that their workers are able to support and receive support from their families. Or maybe working with employees to find ways to balance an employee's needs with their families. Take a listen to episode three and four for ideas on how to improve sleeping, eating, exercising and socialising. Because the benefits, Helen says, are extremely important to helping people thrive in shift work. I might be better resourced in that I have a better home life and social life than some other people. And that helps me to be able to to survive a lot better. Because when you've got a, a, a really good family life, social life, whatever it is that surrounds you when you're not at work, then that gives you a lot of strength to deal with stuff that, that is at work. But I can't create that necessarily out of nothing. So I'm, I'm dependent on my partner, on other significant people in my life to help to provide that. 
For Jules's family, one of the key things that keeps them going is sport. So Jules works hard to make family sport and work fit together as best she can by leaning on friends and family. It's not always possible though, and Jules sometimes does have to plan everybody else's movements while often missing out herself. I love to play sport. That's my main thing outside. I play netball, basketball, and I do karate. Mum knows like what we have on what nights and we always schedule around it. Like when she's working, she has to organise how we're going to get there. If we have like a lot of sport on one night, what dinners we're going to have and the preparation before. Like she'll have to plan out the entire week before anything. There's been a couple of times where she's had to not be able to come because she's gone to work and stuff. But she does coach my basketball team and she's the team manager for my netball team. I learn a lot from her. Just the basic skills of both sports because when she was my age, she used to play them as well. My kids are heavy in community sport. So sometimes I, I try to be a team manager for their local netball team and I have to then pass off my responsibilities to someone else for that day if I have to work. And so those types of things I find hard to miss out on more so than special events because I, if I have enough notice, I can generally work my roster around that. But, you know, like if the kids need to be run to basketball or something like that and I have to rely on other people to help me get them there. Sometimes it's easy to underestimate the importance of those sorts of activities. And we say things to ourselves like, oh, it's only a basketball game, or we convince ourselves that work is more important. But these activities are important for both our social life and our mental health. And Jules thinks that employers can really benefit a lot from being flexible so their employees can still do the things they love to do. If they're aware of the other responsibilities that you have outside of the workplace and work with you to be able to do those things, I think it's a really good thing because that's how you, people are creating that work-life balance. I know that for myself that, you know, if I was able to go and do those things, then, you know, I'm more likely to be able to pick up shifts elsewhere if I get the time that I need to participate in those activities with my family and my community. I think it's really good to be a part of a community environment. I think it strengthens you as a nurse when you're building relationships outside of your workplace. Shift work is tough and it impacts on every part of your life your mental and physical health, your sleeping, your eating, your exercise, your social life, and your family. But although it's always going to be a bit harder than just working during the day and sleeping at night, there are things that we can do to make it better. For organisational psychologist Rachel Palmer, now's the time for employers to start the ball rolling on how we can do it better. There's ways to do it better. There is absolute current research, best practice thinking about how long shifts should be, you know, whether they are forwards or backwards rotation, how many consecutive night shifts you can do in a a row, what you should be doing in terms of commuting and and counting the commute and, and allowing conversations. So there's absolute best practice around how we can do it better. And I think our best practice is improving as well as we learn more. We need to rise to the challenge as employers. We need to work out how do we make this necessity work for us. Shift work is necessary. The way that society is structured, we need police working in the middle of the night. We need nurses on wards. And so it comes with that sense of vocation, meaning, purpose that I think can drive us past or through the discomfort and and 
the less easy aspects. For Jules, who's worked hard to swap her old career in hospitality for a career as a nurse, that's true. And the people who benefit from that the most are her family and her kids. I know she enjoys her job and stuff, so that's good. I know that she enjoys her job a lot more now, so I think that that's a positive side. And it's like good that she does enjoy it because there's not really any point if you don't. I'm extremely proud of her. Like just having to study for three years for something that she really wanted was really good. And when we got to watch her at her graduation was just amazing. That was the last episode in the Make the Shift podcast series. And we hope that we've helped you find some ways to work better beyond the nine to five, whether it's you, your family member or your team. If you'd like more information about some of the topics that we've covered, this podcast forms part of the Working Well in Wellington Toolkit, produced by Wellington Primary Care Partnership and funded by WorkSafe's WorkWell Mental Health Improvement Fund. You can download the toolkit at maketheshift.org.au and find out even more practical tools and techniques to help ensure the mental health of yourself or your shift working colleagues. For more information about the development of Working Well in Wellington and to hear the full interviews with our experts, you can check out our bonus episodes where we go behind the scenes to explore more about how this program was developed and the science behind what went in this podcast. This has been Make the Shift. This podcast was recorded on the traditional lands of the Gunai Kurnai and Bunurong peoples in Gippsland. It was produced by Jetstreamer and voiced by Chris Plumridge. For more episodes, search for Make the Shift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts.